there. You're back. I am so glad that you're back. This is uh, an exciting kind of transition we're having in the Like Dragons, Dragons Did They Fight podcast because we have just noticed the eternal warriors principles that are taught throughout all of the programs and resources in life-changing services are so valuable to everyone. And we want you to just have a little taste of what that's like to have some eternal warriors training or to get involved in what it would sound like if you were in a recovery program or if you were in a in a parent support or a betrayal trauma support. Um, everybody has similar eternal warrior principles that we share. And today I'm excited because Jeff Roderick is here and I love his topic. Jeff, what's your lesson about today? Today we're gonna be talking about transforming shame. And out of all of the lessons that we teach, this is probably one of my top three that I like to talk about and teach. Uh, it, it's, I think the reason why I like it so much is because you can really seriously change somebody's life if you just let them know how to deal with shame and just get out from underneath that rock, they'll feel a lot better. So yeah, we're talking about transforming shame today. Okay, excellent. All right, and we want you to get these principles right up front in this podcast, and then we're going to apply them and say, well, what does that look like maybe for Jeff's life, for my life, for your life um, after his lesson? But so you out there who are in podcast land, you're going to join me, and we're all going to be trained today by Jeff on the Eternal Warriors Principle Transforming Shame. So I'm just going to turn it over to you, Jeff, and thanks. All right. Well, I'm very grateful to be able to, to, to share this lesson. Uh, oh, I think two months ago, I got an email. Maybe my wife had shared it with me that you were going to, that you were going to have a lot of the eternal warrior uh, trainers uh, teaching these lessons. And I read it and I thought, oh, that'd be kind of cool to do. And then I just forgot about it because like everybody, I've got just a super busy life and, and not any busier than anybody else's, but I just, you know, you just, you just sometimes feel like you're treading water. And then I forgot about it. And then Hallie, I think, had reached out to your assistant and, and said, hey, you know, Jeff wouldn't mind doing one of these. And mm -hmm. so then she reached out to me and I gave her my short list of the ones I, you know, that I felt uh, comfortable in doing or felt like I could at least do a good job at. And yeah. um, so we came on shame. And, and shame's a good one. Uh, shame is one of those things that, that everybody has. Like every buddy has it and it's it's like one of those talks that elder Uchtdorf gave a couple years ago in conference he talked about a Potemkin village and it's just it's just a it's a very false way of being trying to put your best self out there knowing that behind the scenes you just have all kinds of things that are falling apart and a lot of times that's how we deal with shame and actually just talking about it it gives me goosebumps because it's it's a real thing and Shame in whatever form it, it shows up in, it is, it always grows with a couple of things. And secrecy is a big one. Judgment is a big one. And fear is a big one. If you, if you kind of breed those three things with shame, um, it's going to grow. Okay. And so, you know, if you just think about the kind of the, just the, the Wikipedia or the encyclopedia or the dictionary definition of what shame is, it's, it's an unpleasant emotion that it makes you negatively evaluate yourself. And I don't know about you, but I have no problem negatively evaluating myself, right? And I think nobody has a problem picking apart yourself because we're our own worst enemy and our best critic, right? And so when you talk about, you know, what are your motivations for things, you know, are you stressed out? You know, um, do you have trust issues? Do you feel, you know, like you have no power in situations? Do you feel like you're worthless? Those are all just fuel for the fire when we're, when we're talking about shame. So, you know, shame is, is, it's one of the, just the most primitive emotions. You know, a lot of times when we talk about the primitive brain, 
the feeling brain, the pons, the amygdala, you know, that are all, you know, structures associated in the brainstem. Um, those are primitive emotions. Those are the, just the raw basic emotions and shame is one of them. And in my clinic, I'm a chiropractor. One of the things I tell all my people is that our bodies are meant to move. And so if you immobilize a joint or if you have muscle tightness or if you have an injury, your tendency is to not move and just kind of stay put. One of the other basic, you know, when I talk to my PWT people or my eternal warrior people, I tell them that emotions and shame are all bred and they all grow because one of the other things that people are supposed to do is we're supposed to talk. We're supposed to share. And I think Karen, you and I both, you know, we have no problem talking, right? And that's a good thing. You know, we're never bored in a room by ourselves because we can talk. But anyway, and so, you know, and what shame does is it handcuffs one more of our basic primitive emotions, one of our primitive things. And if we can't talk and share, then shame gets a hold of us. And so in your experience, and what do you think about this, Karen? I'll just ask you straight. What is one big kind of precursor for shame? What's a common denominator that a lot of people have when they're feeling shame? Uh, comparison. Okay. That's a huge one. Yeah. And, and, and when you talk about comparison, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'll fill in the blank. We are not just comparing, you know, you to me, we're comparing us to just the world, right? Normal people do not do this. Normal people don't have this struggle. Normal people can handle the things that I cannot handle. Is that a fair thing to say? Would you say? Yep. So and, not, go ahead. Yeah. And, no, go ahead. and I was going to say, after I said that one, I was like, oh, and isolation. That would do it oh, too. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's one of the things, and we're going to talk about Brene Brown, you know, probably more often than just once in this, this little podcast, but she says that she's like, it thrives on isolation. You know, and when we, let's just take a story, just an example, you hear all these anecdotal stories when you work with people, you know, young men, they start, you know, they have their first exposure to pornography when they're 12, you know, and here they're 70, you know, and we're working on, they've been married for 42 years and they've struggled with it for gosh, you know, almost six decades. And, but they can still remember how they felt at 12, you know, not that maybe the first time that they saw it or the first time they experienced it, but what happened shortly after that is, and when they, when we go through this kind of this, this process, kind of feeling out how it started, like what happened a couple months into it? How did you feel? And they, and you know, they, most of the time they say, you know, I was, I was scared to tell my parents. And then the next question is, what did you do? And it almost comes back to, well, I was hiding these magazines under my, um, under my bed. If it's a 70 year old, because they didn't have computers back then. Right. But now, you know, they delete their screen history or they go to a quiet room or they go to their closet or they do it, you know, in, in total privacy. And so they're pulling themselves away which totally pigtails into lesson number 10, which is connecting to your source of strength, right? Mm -hmm. And so, or the power of a team, you know, that's nine and 10, lessons nine and 10. And so when we start to pull away, we start to give shame control. We're handing over the keys to the car or to the bus or whatever it is, to the train, to shame. And shame will run you down. I have a, an interesting story. And in fact, I have a document that I started with it. Hallie and I were jogging, my wife, probably two or three months ago. And we went separate ways. I, I left earlier than her because I needed to, to get back sooner. And I needed to run a little bit further. And the route that we, there's a couple different routes. I run on the golf course. I have no problem when it says, don't run on the golf course, I'm running on the golf course. <laughs> Hallie, <laughs> she's more obedient, so she won't do it. And so, um, and so we were running and there's kind of a place, her loop goes across the street and then through a neighborhood and back. And mine goes through the golf course and we both kind of meet up in the same place. But the loop running right between the meeting point is a train track. And I got to one side of the train track and she got to the other side of the train track and there was a train coming through here. And if you've ever been by a train, um, they, they create their own wind. And when you're close to a train, it sucks you in. Like it will feel like it sucks you right into the train tracks. 
and it's loud and they have a horn that can be heard from five miles away. And that's, that's, those are like regulations. You have to be able to have this crisp horn. And if you look at a train horn, there's actually three or four different little horns that make up the sound. It's not just one big one. There's a big one and a couple of other little ones. So it's piercing. And, and a couple of things that I recognized after I got home about this train analogy is that you cannot stop it. You're, you always, always have to appreciate it, right? You have to give it its respect. You cannot just blow it off. Um, it will create its own wind. It will create its own energy. And it's unbelievably loud and confusing. And if you have this train of shame that's going through your marriage, say, for instance, like as a perfect example, Hallie and I was going right between us. I couldn't see her except for like these little flashes between the train cars. And I could be yelling at the top of my lungs and I couldn't hear her or she couldn't hear me. So we could not communicate. We could not talk. You're getting sucked into this. It's like this vortex and it's scary and loud. And we got home and we were kind of talking about that. And we, and, and, and so I started writing this document called the, the, the train of shame. That's what it's called. In fact, I'm going to, and just as we're kind of going through, so I'm going to try and pull it up so I can make sure that I'm not, missing one or two little notes that I wanted to talk about on that. But, but shame is, is, is one of those things, switching gears, that gets confused a lot of times with guilt, okay? And so I still misspeak sometimes and say, oh man, I feel so guilty for doing that. When in reality, you know, it was just a shameful thing, you know, or I'm ashamed of this when in reality I was talking about guilt. And so it's important to be able to identify what's the difference between guilt and what's the difference between shame? Most people lump them together and they'll use the words interchangeably when in reality they can be totally and usually are two totally separate things. Guilt is actually a very healthy and positive feeling because guilt propels us to do good and it helps us to um, make amends it helps us to correct something that's been wrong. And when you address the guilt and you correct it, when it's done, it's done. You don't paint yourself in a corner and you're not stuck. With shame, it's almost 180 degrees different. With shame, you have no feeling or thought that you can make it right. You don't feel like it's ever gonna go away. You don't feel like there's anybody else that can help you or that there's anybody else really that knows what you're going through. And those are all thoughts that Satan puts in our head. Shame is self-defeating because like we talked about before, it's, it's one of those things that you're comparing yourself. It's like, you know, I know Johnny and Susie down the street, they got a perfect little family, you know, cause I see them at church and when they walk out to go hop in their suburban with their five kids, all perfectly, you know, you know, manicured and combed and cleaned up to go to church, they've got a great life, right? And so that's part of the comparison. And you're ashamed to know that, man, when I close the door, when I come home from church, it is a bomb going off. And my wife hates me and my kids are fighting and angry and, you know, and I'm struggling at work. And you've got all these things that are going on and shame is kind of the root of it. So, you know, basic definition, shame is negative. Shame is one of those things that you don't feel like you can really get away from. And shame is one of those things that we just, that we all feel. And it's something that can basically be exercised from our life. Okay. Guilt, on the other hand, is one of those things that can be positive. If you do something wrong, you can make it right. You can feel like you make it right. And when it's done, it's done. One of the things I, you know, I was given this lesson a while ago and it just popped into my head. When you see, um, or when you hear about people that go to court, right? And you go and the judge makes a decision and he hits the gavel down, what does he say? You know, if you're wrong, he says you're guilty, right? And with that, he'll say, okay, you're guilty of, let's just say speeding. Okay, it's a speeding ticket. So you need to pay court costs that are 150 bucks. You need to pay your speeding ticket. You need to do this, this, and this, take defensive driving. You have to do all those things. And when they're done, it's all gone and we forget about it. That's what guilt is. When he puts the gavel down, he doesn't say shame. 
you're stuck. You're never going to get out from this, right? Even if you go to prison, let's just say, you know, Hallie and I, we are prison ministry um, advocates in our, in our stake. And we work with, together, we work with a young man in Florence, in the prison in Florence. And then I've been working with a guy in Washington. And it's just all, you know, Zoom. We met with him once in person, but then COVID happened. And same thing, you know, when he got sentenced to prison, great. He's a great kid. He's 28. He made some dumb mistakes, you know, but he got sentenced to 10 years in prison. And he's got about four more to go. And when the judge said, you're guilty, you go do your 10 years, it's not going to be happy. And it's not going to be great. And it's going to be kind of the, the, the equivalent of a scar from a surgery, because it's going to suck, right? Like, it's not going to be good. But when it's done, you're done. You don't have any more debt to society. You don't have anything else, okay? And so that's one comparison that I like to make between guilt and shame. Shame, you know, they don't say shame. You're going to go into the dungeon and you're never getting out. Guilt is, hey, go do your, do your time, pay your fines, do whatever you need to do, community service. And when it's done, it's done. And that's the way it is for us with guilt and shame. Now, kind of tying it together with, with what Brene Brown, who is probably one of the country's leading researchers on shame and empathy. And she works, um, I think she's a researcher at the University of Houston. I think that's where it is, in the social work department or something. Um, that's kind of, this is kind of her life work. And with, with Brene Brown, she talks about shame. And a lot of the things that we learn about shame and, and, and where it grows and how it grows with secrecy and isolation and self-doubt, a lot of those things come from her. And when, when Brene Brown talks about shame, I mean, people listen. Like, she's on Oprah. Oprah listens to Brene Brown, right? Um, let me try and pull this, this Google Doc up. I don't know that I've got that. And... Um, Give me just one second. Any thoughts on that, Karen, while I'm trying to pull this up? Oh, you know what? It just makes me think. Um, oh, I had a quote here that I was just reading through before we started. It said, grace means that all of your mistakes now serve a purpose instead of serving shame. I like that. Yep. And so, anyway, I just think that as you're talking about shame it makes me consider you know once we can understand that we are being pulled down and covered up and held by shame um, and then learn more about who christ is and how his grace is sufficient no matter what our you know infraction is no matter what what we've done um so much of healing shame has to do with, you know, understanding who Jesus Christ is and what his mission is. Yeah. Um, but I just love that you pointed out to all of the, oh, just the myriad of feelings we have daily. And some of them seem to be on repeat, you know, um, I'm worthless. I'm not lovable. I never get it right. I'm never going to be able to get this done. Uh, just, you know, all those things. Um, but if that's on repeat, then, you know, I guess I would think, is that connected to shame? If that's on repeat, if that's just a language that's in your head, has it become this piece of shame or it because it just is always there and we just need to interrupt that and recognize that for what it is? Yeah. You know? It's exactly it. And the good thing, you mentioned grace. Grace is like the balm of Gilead. Grace fixes so much. And just, that's such a good segue too. Thank you for bringing that up. Is that with, and this is the goosebump part that I get when I talk about this, is that when we first started this, like you can change somebody's life. With two words. You know, and empathy is your ability to feel and be in the same shoes as somebody else. Mm -hmm. And you can change somebody's feeling of shame with two words. And those words are me too. Mm -hmm. 
you know what, Karen, me too. I know exactly how you feel. I've been there. I am not perfect. I know what it feels like that the last thing you think about when you go to bed is how bad you are. And the first thing you think about when you wake up is how bad you are. Me too. So let's talk about that. And we talk about getting in the bunker. Like, you know what, Karen, you're in a bunker and I'm going to come down there and I'm going to be there with you because that's what Jesus does. Jesus meets you wherever you are. If you're on the top of the mountain and you're praying to God and you're in a great place, he will meet you there. If you're in the city and you're just working your guts out and just barely keeping your head above water, he will meet you there. If you are full of shame and you're full of disgrace and humiliation and you're in a bunker and you're by yourself, he will meet you there. And the thing that's awesome about it is he will never leave you where he finds you. He will take you to a better place. And so Jesus was the best at the me too. I know how you feel. And he does because he felt every single thing that we have, every bit of it. And this was kind of an epiphany that um, I wrote it down on Sunday, Hallie or Saturday's conference session. I'm sorry. Um, um, we were listening to uh, Sister Craig. I think she was like the fourth speaker Saturday morning yeah. talking about Christ. And, and when she was, she was quoting 2 Kings um, 2.16, they're talking about fear not for those that be with us are more than that be with them. Mm -hmm. And... And what that means is that we've got lots and lots and lots of help. And Jesus will always help us to appreciate and understand where we're at. And this is what I wrote down. And it was just kind of a, an, a, an epiphany on the stuff we've already said. It says, and I wrote it, it says, Jesus meets us where we are and brings us to a better place. He will also send people to meet us where we are and use them to help us to get to a better place. That's the part that I, that I just, that hit me. Is like we always talk about angels among us and that people are always here and there's no coincidences. It's true, but it finally hit me that, that Jesus will always help us get to a better place, but he will also send people in the interim and throughout time to help us get there also. And we need to be available and open to that. And if we can understand where shame puts us and isolates us and holds us down, we have a hard time being available and, and at the right place at the right time for somebody to come and help us. Yeah. And there's only, go ahead. Did you want I to just, say? Yeah. It just makes me consider, you know, how we're all trying to um, just be more Christ-like, have more Christ-like characteristics in ourselves. One of the things that I've realized in um, all this training and healing that we have for the whole family here and all these people that I have met and kind of been on journeys with, including myself, uh, it's been so wonderful for me to notice that because we always think our Christ-like characteristics are those things that come from us doing awesome things. That's how our Christ-like characteristics come. But um just yesterday I talked to a gal who just has been through lots of stuff and really wants to be more of the use her journey for more healing and giving more hope to people. And she was feeling like she wasn't quite sure what to do about it and where to start. And I, uh, we talked just a little bit about, you know, where her experience came from and how, much shame was there and how dark that was and then how far she'd come. And I just said, it's amazing that Christ allows us to come to a celebratory place and to um, then call us on this mission to use the Christ-like characteristics that we have gained from this crucible of you know, Gethsemane experience and in this dark pit, and then you come out the other side, it gives you Christ-like characteristics that nobody, not even the most trained therapist who has all the right answers is going to be able to give you, as well as 
someone who's been where you're at and can say me too. Such a gift. And so anyway, I just think that was really awesome to notice too, that even out of our difficulty um, and having a great deal of shame and then recognizing who Christ is for us, it's just amazing how his characteristic of succoring people in that specific um, difficulty becomes one of our gifts if we'll allow him to work with us like that. Yeah. And what you just said about allowing him to work with us is another big part of shame is that we flog ourselves. It's self punishing our acknowledgement of the stuff that we've done wrong. Like, Oh my gosh, I just, I'm just so bad, you know, and it just unwinds all of the good stuff that you do. It's one of those things that if we don't, um, if we, and, and, and this is, I think, how Satan likes to have it. If we feel like we're in a place to where we are worthless, even worse, if we're powerless, we can't do anything about it, right? If you're small, you know, unappreciated, and, and then he makes you feel like you're under a microscope that everybody's looking at you, it magnifies it, and it's terrible. And so if we can just understand personally, but also as we're teaching and talking to people, that shame is an emotion and a feeling that is just something that you feel. It's not real. It's not tangible. It's not touchable, right? And if you listen to um, Doug Weiss, he says, feelings are not facts. We've all heard it. You know, I've said it hundreds of times. And shame, if you boil it down, and this may not be exactly correct, but it makes sense, Shame is a feeling and emotion and an emotion. It comes from that part of your brain that deals with memories and emotions, you know, both good and bad, you know, smells, anger. Shame is a feeling. It is not a fact. Okay. I am worthless. That is a feeling. It's not a fact. I am lazy. I am dumb. I am not able. I am not pretty enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not smart enough. Those are just feelings and thoughts. They are not facts. And so if we boil it down to what is the truth, what is the truth? And I know you, I guarantee you have counseled people. Let's, let's analyze the truth. Let's write down the things that are true in this situation, you know, and then let's make another list of what's the facts or what are the, the feelings and what are the things that Satan is putting in your head and shame is going to be on that list. Totally. Right. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Any thoughts, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, sometimes I don't think we can even identify what's shame and, and you know, and be able to get rid of it until we can have some kind of way to look at it, yep. you know, and to say, mm -hmm. oh, wow, that, I just remember it was so liberating for me personally. Once I recognized, you know, I could do that. I could say, well, what are you, what are you listening to in your head? And Let's see what that sounds like and what that is. It was really cool, just that whole principle of, you know, not every voice in your head is a trusted voice. But mm -hmm. you can see why Satan would be so motivated to keep us in a place of shame. Um, because it makes us all these things that aren't really true. You know, like you just mentioned, you're, you're not worth anything. You can't do anything. You're not this enough. You're not... You're not doing that right. But I just think, um, yeah, for me, it was so liberating and made me feel like I'm not a crazy lady. I'm not crazy. I thought I was crazy because I could not um, stop all of that chatter that sounded so self-deprecating. And I thought, actually, it was me trying to be a good church lady. That's why I would tell myself things like that. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, that was good. Thanks for sharing that. That I, that made me think about a couple of things. Um, I, I think sometimes it depends on what you read and who you talk to, but there it's almost like there are in a negative way. It's almost like a spice to shame. Like here's shame. Like the meal is shame, right? You've got a meal of meat and potatoes because I'm from, from Alaska. My wife's from Idaho. We eat potatoes every day. But the, the spice of it's going to be salt or pepper or whatever kind of, you know, 
uh, yummy seasonings that you put on it makes it better. Shame if you talk about seasoning that and making it worse, you know, or making it more um, effective, I guess, to making you feel bad. One of those things is being embarrassed, you know? And if you feel embarrassed because of whatever it is that maybe my marriage isn't as perfect, or I feel shame because I haven't been a perfect wife or a perfect husband, or I don't have a great job, or I don't have patience with my kids, or I have an anger problem. Embarrassment is almost like pouring fuel on a fire or seasoning it to such an extent that there's nothing you can do about it, right? And so embarrassment is one of those things that, that, is, uh, that is just one of those things that just makes shame a little bit more um, potent, it gets it, maybe gets it hooks, its hooks into you a little bit better. Um, I'm just thumbing through here. I've got a, a couple of things I wanted to bring up uh, that if I read them, they're much better. <laughs> so, um, okay. So we've, we've talked about some things with, in certain instances that if something happens, like we get a trigger, you know, we freeze or we fight or we, oh, what's the other word? Just lost it fight, flight, or freeze, right? Yeah. We're going we're gonna to either fight it, we're going to get out of there, or we're just going to get frozen in, in, in place. And unfortunately for us, when we have, when we feel shame, a lot of the response that we're going to have is we're just going to be stuck. Like, I can't do anything about it, you know? Um, sometimes when you feel shame and somebody comes at you and says, hey, you know, um, how come, you know, how come you didn't take the garbage out? Simple thing, not a big deal. If you're feeling full of shame, you're going to take it as an attack. You know, recognizing what shame does in your life and kind of the, the symptoms of it, the side effects of shame is, is also important because a lot of people won't think like, oh, I don't have shame. Like, you know, I dealt with that a long time ago. And you may not think you're dealing with shame, but the way you act, you have all the side effects and all the symptoms of somebody that has a case of shame. You know, living in the medical world, we always talk about syndromes and so-and-so's got COVID and, and this and that. And so I, I have to kind of compare it to that. But if you're defensive or if you're angry all the time or if you're pulling yourself back and simple little things like, hey, I noticed you didn't take the garbage out. If you take that as an attack, um, that's a symptom of shame because now you're like, what, you don't think I'm good enough? What, do you think I'm dumb? Do you think I'm lazy? Because these are all things that you feel about yourself. And now your wife just um, exposed the truth. And now she knows that you're dumb and that you're lazy and that you can't think straight. Mm -hmm. And so, so shame and yeah. Satan just uses that tool to just, just play these mind games on us. And once we can recognize that we're suffering from this condition of shame, or we have these symptoms, what's the remedy, right? What are we going to do to kind of pull out of it? Yeah. And let's, so. let's just talk about a, just a couple of things there and then we'll kind of, kind of, um, we can close it down and you can um, add a couple of two bits to it if you want. But um, a couple of things that, that work. And we talked about the me too part. If you had to pick one single thing, one single thing that's going to be the best thing that you can do to help you pull out of shame is find somebody that you can talk to. Okay. Um, and I can't, and, and I work with a lot of, you know, teenager-ish, older teenagers, young college kids, total social media people, always on Instagram and Facebook and all that. And I tell them, I said, do not post this on social media. That is not the forum. And so if you're, if you're looking for help or, or trying to find somebody that you can trust, it is really important that you find somebody that can own that piece of vulnerability, okay? Don't put it out on Facebook because you will get, you'll get roasted. It will not be a good experience. You know, when you reach out to, to somebody and tell your story or tell your experience, we need to choose people that in our mind have earned that right, right? Mm -hmm. Not just any Joe Schmo, the checker at the gas station or Jeff Roderick, you know, um, you need to find somebody that has earned the right to hear your story and share your story with somebody that can, that can hold that weight, you know, that they can be okay with it. 
Uh, some people can't, you know, with some of the guys that I work with, they need, you know, they look for an accountability partner. It's like, oh, I'm just going to account to my wife. You know, that they're already dealing with stuff. And if you come to them every night and say, oh man, I was struggling with this or I was struggling with that, it usually will be too much for them. Mm-hmm. So, so at some point that will be good, you know, but a lot of times in, in the, you know, in the rehab world, the right therapy at the wrong time is the wrong therapy. And so the right accountability at the wrong time is the wrong accountability because they're not ready to be there. And once we can get a handle on our shame, then, then we'll start to recognize those things a lot more. And a lot of times when we're in that, that you know, like an addiction cycle or in this nasty shame cycle, we don't think straight. Because if you think about it, we talked about shame comes from the midbrain, right? Mm-hmm. All of those primitive thoughts and emotions make us act dumb. They make us act out of our value system. You know, we talk about being in your frontal lobe. Your frontal lobe is where rational thought happens. You're calm, cool, and collected. When stuff is happening all around you and the bullets are flying and bombs are dropping, emotional or actual real bombs, you can think with a pretty calm, cool, collected mind. But if you're just freaked out and bullets are whizzing by your head and you're acting with feelings, you're going to run the wrong direction and run right into a bomb. And so shame comes from that same part of the brain. And so we need to get out of that part of the brain and think more clearly, think more concisely, be able to rationalize things. And one thing we talk about is tasting your words. You know, you don't say stuff that comes to your mouth when you're calm, cool, and collected. Because when you're feeling anger, if you're feeling attacked because you feel shame, your wife's going to say, hey, did you take out the garbage? The first thing that comes out of your mouth is, hey, you got two feet, you take the garbage out. Right? So when you taste your words a little longer, you're like, yeah, you're right. I I just got busy. I'm going to go do that. See the difference? Mm -hmm. Shame is the fuel that makes us say dumb things. So talking to people is mm-hmm. a huge thing to overcome shame. Yep. Trusted people that can Trusted. honor that space with you. Yep. And it was it what was there was another one. So there's another one. The second the second one is just having the understanding of what you're in. You know, a lot of times we're in stuff and we don't even know it. You know, and let's just like myself for example, like I don't you know, I don't feel shame. You know, there's, oh, you got a lot of stuff you should probably work through. Like, nope, I did that a long time ago. I'm done with it. Good. When in reality, I may think that I put the big monster on the shelf. It's in a box and I put it on the, bo- uh, on the shelf, but I have all these other little monsters running around. And those are all symptoms or side effects of what's in the big box. And so I can go around and catch this little monster and that little monster and this little monster and put them away. But it just keeps breeding more and more of these little side effects and these other little Uh, self-defeating thoughts and actions and relationships. And that brings to the third thing is that if you have better communication, whether it's with your therapist or with your wife or with your brother or your mom or your dad, that's the other thing that helps defeat shame because it's an isolation thing. I think that's the word that you brought up at the start. You know, you, you do, you just, you just go to your own little place. You know, you go to your own room and you close the door and you open up your laptop and we have no communication. You know, I know personally and with a lot of other people I talk to, one of the common themes in marriages that are struggling or dealing with betrayal trauma is that we have never had an emotional connection. We have never been able to communicate. I mean, it happens and you probably see the same thing. Communication is a huge problem. And whether that's a a generational problem that that whatever generation that was supposed to teach us how to communicate failed, um, whatever the cause is, or maybe it's too much, you know, you know, isolation because you're on Facebook all the time. But if you can learn how to communicate better, you will help put out the, the, those flames of shame. So finding somebody you can talk to, recognizing what you're in and where you're at, and then being able to communicate are three really big things that we can do to really kind of work through this whole shame thing. And, and 
you know, I play sports all the time and coach and all that. And so everything's always, you know, an analogy with sports and, and, you know, like a to-do list, you know, like, Hey, we need to make sure we do this, this, and this, so we can have a good game plan. Um, those are probably the top three things that would be on the to-do list for success. And, yes, and I tell everybody, yeah, go ahead. It. Talk about it. Know what you're in mm -hmm. and communication. So yeah. the know what you're in, that one, I'm not just really solid on. The other two, I solid. I don't know if it was because I wasn't listening very good, but I think oh. you should just say it again just because I'm like, okay, people are listening to this thinking that is so good. Mm -hmm. And if, yeah, what's the know what you're in again? Okay. So if you're just in a situation, just, just, okay. just take your life and you're okay. sitting here and you're watching this podcast and you're not sure why your life is treading water. Okay. okay. Like I come up for a couple of breaths of air and then I'm treading water. I'm going under and I'm coming up. Why do I feel like I'm bobbing all the time? Why do I have such a, a bad relationship at work or with my wife? Or why am I always yelling at my kids? Why is it when I walk in the room, the dog leaves, right? What, what's going on? <laughs> right. And if you can't really put your finger on it, a lot of times you can sit there and say, you know what? I have this event or the series of events in my past that I put in a box and is on the shelf. That's what it, yeah. Totally. That doesn't make it go away. Right. But that box is still there and it is full to the top of stuff. And a lot of times it's shame. And so if you can realize that if you're distracted, if you have just, just, a, just bad feelings when somebody even constructive criticism, when somebody brings something up that is not a threat, if you feel like your people are accusing you of being a loser, if you feel like people are attacking you or making you feel less than a productive citizen, you know, if you feel like you have to defend yourself all the time, those are all symptoms of, of negativity that a lot of them come from shame. Not so much guilt because guilt will help you work through that. And so if you have these things and if you have these triggers and it's the same trigger over and over and over again from some event that you put in a box, it's on the shelf, you are harboring shame, whether you think you are or not, because that's how I was like, no, I'm good. Like I know, like, no, like I'm a guy. We're supposed to have it all squared away. I'm squared yeah. away. I'm good until I pull that box off the shelf and I open the lid and everything just comes pouring out. And then you realize, man, I've got a mess. Yeah. I need to, and I need to get that. So talking to people and communicating better can address that. But like some issues are like, you got to go somewhere where there's some more therapeutic help. Things that people can yep. really help you grab the box in a safe way and look at it without thinking, ah, oh, that's just too big. We can't, I can't go there by myself. Yeah, that's definitely not a Facebook post. That's probably not something you want to talk with. Even though bishops are great, that's probably not necessarily something that you want to dump on your bishop. It is. It's time for professional help. And at, at some point when you get, when you open up your box and you've kind of spilled it out and you're kind of working on those things like a puzzle piece, um, at some point then the bishop can come in and he can apply his expertise and his spirit field assistance or your friend or your neighbor or your other trusted person. But like I said, the wrong, th the right therapy at the wrong time is the wrong therapy. And you kind of need to find the right place to go. But the important thing is, is just recognizing where you're at first and, you know, and calling in, you know, and talking to somebody like you or working with a life coach mm -hmm. or working with somebody um, getting some eternal warriors principles because they're just tools like the more tools yeah. we can put in your bag and the tool of recognizing shame and being able to work through it is huge it's like the sledgehammer of your tool belt so you know good. if you if yeah. you had to pick the two top things that satan does to trip us up one is probably pride and one a is probably shame mm. you know That's pride help, helps us drive the train of shame right off the cliff like we're just <laughs> we're doing it and so, yeah, yeah. What so a, that's what an incredible analogy that you shared about you and Hallie there at the train <laughs> track and how not just disjointed shame can make us from ourselves 
so we can't even see ourselves clearly or have a relationship with ourselves that's healthy. Uh, we can't even bring our best self or our helpful self, our authentic self to somebody that we just really love. You know, it's there's just because that's running right in the middle of it. And so no matter how bad you want it, um, it just doesn't happen. So I guess, Jeff, one of the things I just would love to ask you, I keep getting this thought, um, what have you noticed has changed in your personal life applying this principle of transformation? Both, um, so I can talk from both sides of this um, kind of experience of shame. Um, having, I can remember when like in our life, when we had the bomb go off, um, there was one person that I trusted and his name was Shane. Um, and Shane is a great, great guy. He's probably, he's not quite old enough to be my dad, but he's pretty close. And he and I were good friends. We've been, we've ran together for thousands of miles. We've ran together a lot. And, and when I talk with him, I feel like I can open up and I can feel like he's trusting and that I can express myself and tell him kind of how I feel because he has the attitude of me too. Like, man, I've not had a perfect life. My kids have not had perfect lives. lives. I know exactly what you're going through. What can I do to help? He doesn't just walk by you sitting in the hole and throws you a ladder and says, hey, here you go. You know, he puts the ladder in there and climbs down and says, let's get out of here. Let's do it. And that's, that's a big one. Huge. But working, working with other guys, that's kind of how I try and if they'll, you know, if they trust me, you know, because that you have to earn that. You can't just jump in and say, hey, you can trust me, you know, because I've got this credential. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're at a point in your relationship with them that you can say, hey, you know, I know where you're at. You know, I'll bet you feel like this a lot of times. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll bet you that your wife has probably said these types of things to you. And you've probably responded this way. Like, I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. And this is not going to be easy. But I can promise you that just like when you treat cancer, it's painful. And it's hard. And you lose your hair. And you lose lots of things. But when you're done, you're going to be alive. And you're going to be better off for it. And I tell them, I was like, you may have a scar from this. Maybe it's an emotional or physical scar. But you'll get through it. And you're going to be better off for it. And once you can recognize what shame is doing and how shame is directing your life, then you can do something about it. And, and I think recognizing it um, is a big, and that probably should be the first thing on that list that we listed, was that you need to recognize what it is and how it's manifesting in your life. Then you can go to, you know, finding somebody that you can trust to talk to. And so, so great. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, Jeff, you're a chiropractor that came out. You have an amazing <laughs> wife that you really adore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but I know you have kids, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. How many kids do you have? So we've got four kids okay. and we got two girls and two boys, Matea and Morgan, 24 and 22. And Chad is 18. He's on a mission. He's in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and was just evacuated yesterday from Hurricane Delta. So they moved him, I don't know, four or five hours straight east to Gulfport, Mississippi, to get him out of the path of the hurricane. Um, He's supposed to go to Portugal, but they reassigned him to Baton Rouge for the time being. So we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, But he's 18, and then I've got a younger son, Case, that's 15, and he's a sophomore. In fact, Hallie is getting his driver's license, his driver's permit right now. She's getting it. So they should be back here any minute. So he's pretty excited. That, yeah, that is so exciting. That's a big moment, big moment yeah. for him. And, and so, uh, we had, what's that? I was just going to say, um, I don't want to interrupt your telling about your family, though. I was just going to ask sure. you a little bit about what, what are all the things you do here at Life Changing Services and how can people find you if they are thinking, I'd like to talk to Jeff a little more about this. Oh, well, so I've been a PWT, personal warrior trainer for about three years, just over three years. And so 
you know, I work mostly with teenagers, uh, younger college kids, college age kids, but actually I take it back. I don't work mostly with them. I, I do work with teenagers and uh, some young men in college, but a lot of the guys I work with are forties, fifties, and sixties because you know, like I'm almost 50. I do have a grandson and he is just the joy of our lives. He's so awesome, Brody. Um, but a lot of the experiences, a lot of these men are having life experiences or how, or what's going on in their life right now. I can, I can relate to them really well. So it's, it's kind of a wheelhouse thing for me. I like being able to talk with them. We can relate quite a bit. We have a lot of similarities with those age men. And so I can talk with them. I also work as a life coach. I have quite a few, um, quite a few life coaching clients. If you don't feel like maybe the Men of Moroni program or Sons of Healing program is exactly what you want, because maybe you don't deal with things that they deal with. Um, life coaching is a great alternative to that. And we can cover lots and lots of other things and not be, have those uh, restraints of, you know, just the PWT program or the mm -hmm. men And then the last thing is, you know, we teach the eternal warrior program. And so there's 12 lessons. Uh, I work with groups. I work with individuals. My wife and I just got done teaching a family about two weeks ago. Um, we went to their house and we just, every night, every Monday night, we'd go and it would be like family home evening. And we would just give this, uh, give these lessons. So all of my information is on the Life Changing Services website. And uh, if somebody needs to get a hold of me, my phone number's there. And and uh, I'm glad to help. It's this is like my, it's the fun thing that I do. It's the a really rewarding thing that I do because I my regular job's a chiropractor, but uh, Tuesday and Thursday afternoons is when I work with a lot of my uh, a lot of my clients. So yeah, That's it's a lot cool. of fun. Yeah. Ah. Thank you so much. That was so helpful. I know that you people listening out there feel the same way I do. Just grateful. Thanks, Jeff. So grateful. Thanks for having me. It's great.